Hello and welcome to episode number 32 of News of the Nerd, the podcast where we talk about movies, TV shows, video games, comic books and anything else remotely nerdy. And today we will be talking about the Marvels. I am Jason and I'm here with my brother slash co-host Ben. Guten Tag. German Ben. (laughs) Yeah. And today we are also here with my colleague slash special guest, it's other Ben. Good to be with you guys as one of the Ben variants. <laughs> one of the many Bens, the Bens of the multiverse. Indeed. I'd watch that spin-off. <laughs> so, how are we all doing? Are we ready to talk about the Marvels? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it um... seems like no one else in the universe is, though. Yeah, it, it is really sad, the reception that it's... Well, it's not even the reception it's had, but just the, the lack of people going to see it. Uh, I've got a feeling... When they put it on Disney Plus, a lot of people are going to watch it. Then, I mean, its um, tomatoes score is still not very good, which is annoying. I mean, what, to be what's fair, it at now it wasn't bad. Sixty-two on the critics, yeah, but then it's eighty-three on the audience, which is not bad. No, no, that's not bad at all. The problem as well when when you enjoy a film and it does badly at the box office and with reviews, you almost take it personally. It's a bit like with the latest Indiana Jones. I really enjoyed watching that in the cinema, but then. The reviews weren't good, and it didn't even make its budget back. So it's um it's a weird one when that happens. I think. I think all of the critics that went towards that tomato score were just middle-aged white men that hate Brie Larson. Uh, yeah, only explanation. <laughs> because she didn't go to the prom with them. Generally, the critic score is the more objective one, um, and the audience score is the one that gets downvoted by angry people. So it's interesting that the scores are the other way around this time. That's why I'm saying it's the only explanation, but they all hate Brie Larson. Uh, but, I mean, what is interesting is the the new Hunger Games film, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, is also massively underperforming at the box office. Uh, and I, I think a big part of it, it's, it's not a reflection on the films. It's how cinema has changed post-pandemic. I think people have got so used to streaming movies at home now and the wait between movies being released in the cinema and landing on streaming has gotten so much shorter that I think people are just much more happy to wait and much less likely to fork out to go to the cinema because it can be like an expensive day out, especially if you've got kids as well and, you know, you've got to... You can't just go to the cinema. You've got to buy snacks and you've got to buy drinks. And I think people are just changing how they watch films. £4 for a small Coke, it cost me when we went. Absolutely ridiculous. I never buy food or drink when I'm there. But it's interesting because since COVID, I think there have been five films that, only five films have made a billion dollars. It is, it's becoming much more of a, to hit that sort of landmark with a film, it has to be a proper event film like spider-man no way home for example it's a lot harder for not just for marvel but for other studios to sort of generate that box office enthusiasm whereas pre-endgame even the i say lesser films i don't mean that as a critical thing but the more standalone like ant-man was still more than making the budget back and still doing well with critics and with the box office but that's just totally changed now i think part of the problem as well is that don't get me wrong people reviewers they see fit films but they seem to be coming out earlier and earlier, and it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like I was conscious a good 
probably two or three weeks before the models came out, but there were signs of depressed turnout, box office sales for it not doing as well, it not being that well received. And I think that does influence probably the more casual fans who aren't my MCU diehards probably think, oh, actually, I'm not going to go and see that. Um, I mentioned again Indiana Jones earlier on, and that seemed to have an even longer gap between, I think it premiered at maybe the Cannes Film Festival, a good, it seemed a month or two before release. And the sort of consensus was that it wasn't a good film. And so that had plenty of time to filter through to, again, casual audiences to think, oh, actually, I'm not going to go and see it. And I think that's a shame. I think, you know, I don't know what the original embargo was with reviews, maybe like a day before. It's a shame we can't sort of go back to that. I know it's different in the 21st century with social media and stuff, but I feel like it should, though. Because, like, we try and avoid reviews and things like that before we see a movie, like... I but you can't like help everyone... it, can you, though? Like, you'll no. go on Facebook and Twitter and it comes up, movie, web, whatever. And even if you go in with the best intentions, like I think the three of us have with the Marvels, still in the back of your mind, you're thinking, like, oh, the consensus is that it's not going to be very good. And we're three people who will go and see it. But, like I say, people who are more casual about the MCU and superhero films in general will see that. And, again, factor in, like Jason was saying, go on about the cost of the cinema and think, no, I'm not going to go and see it. Yeah, so um, let's move off Marvels for just a little while because there is a little bit of news to discuss. Um, the first one, I, I don't think anyone will have much to say about this, but Superman Legacy has added another cast member, uh, so a member of the Authority, which I believe is going to be like the group of supervillains in Superman Legacy. There's a member called the Engineer, and they have cast a Maria Gabriella de Faria. And I've probably butchered that pronunciation. Um, yeah, she's been in a few things. Uh, I've googled her. It's she is a Venezuelan, and it looks like most of what she has been in is uh, like South American TV series. So I don't think I've seen her in anything. Just looking at her IMDb, there's a few English language things on there. One's called The Exorcism of God. Um, but yeah, there's there's nothing there that I've seen, so I can't really give an opinion. And I don't know anything about the character. So, I mean, I'm going to give the new Superman film a fair crack of the whip, but I know we've spoken about this before, Jason, about this weird toxicity, not from Zack Schneider himself, but from some of his acolytes who are determined to hate it and other films in the DCU going forward because it's a James Gunn production. Um, with very unreasonable justifications for it as well, which I think is really frustrating. I'm looking forward to it just because I'm sure that James Gunn will do something interesting with it. He is is a writer and director that I do have faith in. You know, not all of his films have been amazing, but I think he's always tried to do something different. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with the character. And a hopeful take on Superman, which we didn't really get with Henry Cavill. Nothing to do with Henry Cavill. He did the best with what he had, but it was just too dark a take on a very iconic character. Yeah, we know on this podcast that Henry Cavill has never done anything wrong ever. <laughs> and we will protect him with our lives. We will, and the <laughs> offer for him to come on as a guest is obviously still available too. Or his mum. Or, or his mum. Okay, so there's been some rumours, some discussion around the future of Kang in the MCU. 
Um, I also want, we should have mentioned this last week, actually. So we were talking about uh, a few weeks back, the Variety article that came out about Marvel with all these apparent scoops uh, about the MCU. And one of them, it said how the finale of Loki is going to set up Kang as the next major villain in the MCU. And it really didn't, did it? No, it wasn't even a hint really that it could do in fact it reversed it if anything yeah so i, I, th- I mean it, it i guess it did kind of hint with them saying this tracking variants of can it's not the big setup that the article made out that it was going to be so i think that does put that whole article into question it wasn't already well there were some things in there that had started to be debunked by various people online uh who who are in the know and generally trustworthy with these things um but there has been some some information on the possible future of Kang or lack of future of Kang in the MCU. So Joanna Robinson, who you might remember I spoke about, she wrote the book, uh, The Reign of Marvel Studios. She, she recently revealed a bit of information on a podcast uh, called The House of R Podcast. And this is what she said. She said, I heard from someone recently, the screenwriter Jeff Loveness, who wrote Quantumania, who was supposed to write the Kang Dynasty. Anyway, it's confirmed. I had it confirmed to me he's no longer working for Marvel. I asked the person why, and they said the reason is that he was all wrapped up in the Kang storyline, and they are likely moving away from that. It's looking more and more likely that Kang is no longer going to be the villain of the next Avengers film. I mean, there's more more and more rumours coming out about Doctor Doom, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. With Mads Mikkelsen rumours. Yeah, I saw that. Mads Mikkelsen, he's already been a villain in the MCU. But it's a great casting, then. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, But then on top of that, so that was the House of R podcast. There's another podcast called The Weekly Planet. And Uh, they quite regularly get people right into them with scoops. They do a, a little segment. They jokingly call it Hot Scoop or Shot of Poop. And so the Hot Scoop or Shot of Poop that they've had through to their inbox is somebody who apparently knows somebody who works with uh, Jonathan Majors. And the rumour is, or the scoop, or the poop, is that because of the nature of Kang and because of uh, the whole multiversal aspect, he got a clause written into his contract when he first signed on to play the character that said that only he can play Kang or any of his variants. <laughs> Which explains why they haven't just recast him. Like All this time, people have been saying, why aren't you just recasting Kang? Surely that makes the most sense. We've probably said it ourselves on this podcast. That's just blunted my response. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so yeah, apparently it is written into his contract that only he can play Kang. So they have no choice, really. If they want to move away from him, they have to move away from Kang. Unless there's like a for I mean, I'm not a lawyer. I'm probably talking a load of rubbish here. Is there not like a force majeure subclause? Oh, I like that word. <laughs> you would think, wouldn't you? You would think there would be a clause that says, you know, like any... If you go around slapping un- people, then... <laughs> yeah. Any, we, any we can do what we want. Unbecoming behavior that could hurt Marvel or its brand will null and void this contract. Surely, because I mean, if that clause isn't true, 
I, I'm definitely of the opinion they should just recast because they've already gone into the multiverse and built that up and not every variant of Kang has to look like Jonathan Majors. I know there's that scene in Quantumania in the mid-credits scene. There are plenty of other talented actors they could hire, you know, to replace him. Yeah, yeah, and I was really hoping that Renslayer was going to turn out to be a Kang. Idris Elba. Idris Elba, that's a great shout. <laughs> oh, but he's been Heimdall, hasn't he? I'm not saying that doesn't mean he can't be Kang, but it has been in the MCU already. Multiverse, isn't it? Unless Heimdall is a Kang variant. <laughs> That's a twist. A <laughs> retcon. <laughs> It'd be harsh if Jeff Loveless's sacks because it was tied up in Kang, because surely that's the remit he was given. But Yeah, but maybe we're just like yeah. they were saying we're gonna move away from it, and he was like, No, no. <laughs> Trust like, me, bro. I mean, Full on yeah. kicks off about it. It could have just been that, you know, that's the story that he's got ideas for, and that's the story he's been writing. And I, once you've been that deeply uh, embedded in writing that story, it's probably not easy to just pivot. I mean, I'm I'm sort of the opinion, I know this might sound uninspired, but because of the issues with Marvel at the moment, the sort of declining quality in that perception, if they really wanted to play it safe and are that worried about box office numbers and success, it would be to for the next two Avengers films to get the Russo brothers back to direct and to get Marcus and McFeely writing them again. I know that sounds like it's just doing what they've done before but it is a safe option i don't know if they've considered that or if they think that's you know too lazy or they just do take. some timey wimey wibbly wobbly stuff and just somehow end up in the infinity stone saga again and just redo the movies you need a full reboot for that i think because i think that's what i mean like just do it as a full like they end up in the first film of the saga again well, it was rumoured that that's what Secret Wars was going to sort of do, be like a soft reboot, because I think that's another potential problem. I don't know about you, but I think some people almost wanted to skip Kang Dynasty to Secret Wars because of the promise of so many cameos, whether it's Tobey Maguire, Hugh Jackman, etc., which maybe is making Kang Dynasty not stand on its own as much. But again, that's all just been thrown into question. I think it's because it's... Events. Kang Dynasty is... Uh hard like you've got no idea what that movie's about secret wars everyone's got theories of what that's going to be and it raises like the excitement of it but i think kang dynasty is such a hard title to decode as in what it's going to be and he's already been defeated twice in the mcu yeah it's a pussy hole yeah it it keeps being defeated really easily so it, it it does like when they're trying to build him up as the next big bad. Like I- imagine if in uh, so I'm just trying to think. What well, the the first film that Thanos appeared in properly was probably like Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. So Ronan the Accuser kills his like henchmen really easily. Imagine if like he'd just done that to Thanos, and then they're wanting you to believe that Thanos is a big dangerous adversary. No, you you can't you can't keep killing off this character, and expect us to believe that they're a force to be reckoned with. Especially when and don't get me wrong, I love Ant Man as a character, but when he's been defeated by Ant Man, yeah, who angered sort of ridiculed in the film, it does, yeah, just call into question how seriously you take him. And they even ruined what was a really cool line in that film is when Ant Man's kind of like, oh, you know, I'm an Avenger, and Kang's like an Avenger. Have I killed you before? And that should have been left to sort of hang in the conversation. Then it get into a whole like, 
we long the hammer. Oh no, that's Thor, but we get I get mistaken for him. And this undercut what's a cool line with just a sort of cheap joke. I thought they did that a lot in Quantumania, undercut cool moments with cheap jokes. Yeah, exactly. And I know that's that's a accusation about Marvel in general, which is sometimes fair, sometimes not, but certainly in that film they did do that a lot. Yeah. I just feel like we should not be talking about Quantum Mania. <laughs> Sorry, I, I swore just by mentioning it's, it's PTSD. If we're looking for someone new to direct the next two Avengers films, I would go with uh, Adil and Bilal, who they directed two episodes of Miss Marvel uh, that I think were, in my eyes, the best two episodes. Um, they, they've directed some lesser-known things. They've also... They did um, Bad Boys for Life, and apparently they... Well, I say apparently they were the directors of that Batgirl film that is going to go unreleased. I think they are talents that would be good to go for. And, you know, there's two of them again. So carrying on the tradition from the Russo brothers. <laughs> yeah, there you go, symmetry. Because <laughs> Daniel, I know we shouldn't indulge rumours too much, but Daniel Destin rumoured to be off Kang Dynasty. He directed Shang-Chi. Yeah, um, so that was the other yeah. rumor. That so when I was saying like everything seems to be pointing towards Kang Dynasty not happening, um, or like they're just gonna we're gonna retool it for a different villain. Like the directors apparently off it, the writers apparently off it. It does look like they're just gonna go in a completely different direction. I just hope it is the Doctor Doom direction because I think that's a better direction anyway. I think that was is kind of the original direction they should have gone. The whole side where he becomes basically the ruler of everything in existence. Yeah, which I think you, you spoke about last week when we were talking about Loki, didn't you? Well, yeah. I get there's 60 years of Doom comics. Like, having to change to a different character, I feel like isn't a massive loss because they've got so many characters with so much history. They've got so many stories to pull from. As long as he's introduced properly, it'd be weird for him to be an Avengers villain before he's a Fantastic Four villain. I know they're doing a Fantastic Four film, but... Yeah, so Fantastic Four is scheduled for before Kang Dynasty, isn't it? They um... might just leave it as Kang Dynasty and be like, this is the di- Dynasty Kang left over for Doctor Doom. I, I, yeah, I don't think they will, because I think they'll probably want to distance themselves from the Kang stuff, if at all possible. They'll call it Temple of Doom instead. <laughs> Yes. I feel like there's already a movie that's called that. What, Avengers Temple of Doom? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It just rings a bell, doesn't it? Oh, imagine if they did a multiverse with other Disney properties. Oh, <laughs> Don't give them ideas, because that's what I'll do to get a share prices up again. Oh. Like, haven't we thought this before? <laughs> Avengers Temple of Doom, and then... You've just, got, you've just got Iron Man fighting Darth Vader. It's like Fortnite all over again. Instead of Secret Wars, we'll do Avengers Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> Secret Star Wars. Ralph breaks the internet nearly went down that line, didn't it, with Wreck-It Ralph? Yeah. Yeah, there were some great cameos in those films. Um, but I mean, while we're talking Fantastic Four, shall we address the big Fantastic Four rumour? Definitely, yeah. Uh, Pedro Pascal is, is rumoured to be being eyed for Mr. Fantastic. Uh, and I think that came from Deadline, didn't, didn't it? Yeah, he's a great actor, so it'd be it'd be a very smart choice if it's true. I I think it's a good casting choice, in all honesty. Yeah, no, I can I can see it working very well. I don't I feel like it'd have to be a kind of a gruffer 
Mr. Fantastic than we might be used to seeing, especially on screen. It seems we're moving away from the rumours obsessed with John Krasinski and Emily Blunt being Reed Richards and Sue Storm. I still would have been so down for that. Well, it kind of happened in Doctor Strange, didn't it, with John Krasinski, but it seems that was just a one-off. Yeah, it happened in Doctor Strange, and it wasn't good. I feel like he did amazing with the bad writing and that it was given. It was COVID as well, wasn't it? He he wasn't filming with anyone else. so I didn't feel like weird. he had any kind of presence, though. Oh, I, I did. Um, I disagree again! <laughs> but that could be, as you said, he was filming by himself, so, you know, it's, it can be a bit harder to to act under those situations. But, yeah, I just I didn't feel like he had any of the kind of gravitas that Reed Richards would demand. I feel like there's so many singular rumours out now. Like, everyone's now focused on Pedro Pascal possibly playing Reed, Vanessa Kirby playing Sue Storm, the other new one that came out around the same time as Pedro Pascal, the Javier Bardem. Javier Bardem. Is going to be playing Galactus. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Now, that's a scary character. Yeah, I don't think they should waste Galactus on the first Fantastic Four film, though, because it feels like it could be an Avengers-level villain. What I would do is end Fantastic Four with the Herald of Galactus, the Silver Surfer, or one of the many Heralds that he's had over the years, and then that could build up to a bigger crossover film. So we've said before how Mr. Fantastic kind of needs to be a likeable dickhead, and... There's, there's always one actor when when you need a character like that. I remember it, it because he described himself as being like that, and that is Robert Carlyle. I would kind of love to see it. It'd be an older version of Reed Richards, but I'd kind of love to see Robert Carlyle as a Reed Richards. Do you know who I wanted, who I was kind of thinking of, would be a good Reed Richards? Penn Bagley? Bagley? Bad, Badgley? Bagel. Bagel? But Bagel. Pen Bagel. The guy that plays um, in you. Oh, yeah. I, is he too much of a pretty boy? I don't know. I feel like Reed Richards is, has always kind of been that really nerdy pretty boy, though. No, I think you're just thinking of the Fantastic Four films. Could we get Miles Teller and Joan Griffith in Secret Wars cameoing as Reed Richards, possibly? Yes. That'd be cool. I think they will attempt to get every cameo that they possibly can into Secret Wars. They want an endgame level. The trouble is, they've already done that, and they've set the bar. So if anything, they need to beat that. Yeah, and that was all the characters that we kind of knew were in it, just all arriving at one time. Yeah, so which is why you get every version of every character. It's going to be like that Power Rangers episode where every Power Ranger showed up. Yeah. You get David Hasselhoff's Nick Fury in it. Like, literally, every actor who's ever played a Marvel, you get you get both versions of Howard the Duck in it. <laughs> My day. You yeah, go for it, why not? Yeah. Because, let's be fair, it could be their last hurrah at this point. Yeah, I can't believe we're having that conversation, but it's... It's a fair guess. Uh, so, yeah, let's move on because we've got a couple of trailers that we need to discuss before we move on to the Marvels. 
uh, and we've been rambling for a while already. So, uh, which one should we talk about first? Marvel or Sony? Marvel or Sony? Marvel. Okay, Marvel's What If. I do quite like the um, almost like 80s Avengers in the trailer for What If. Like Hank Pym, uh, King T'Chaka, uh, characters like that. I think it's quite an interesting take to go down. I don't know about you two, I really enjoyed season one. Um, and it's been quite a long gap, a longer gap than I thought it'd be between season one and season two. You know, it's gone on for over two years now. Um, because there are so many interesting concepts you can explore with it. I love that it's going to be one episode a day for nine days. I had said I'd, I'd expected them to do like all nine episodes drop on a day. But this is a much better idea. It keeps the conversation going. It keeps yeah. the conversation going. But also, like, I don't feel like I don't feel like it's the right kind of show to do weekly drops with. But no. yeah, one a day is a really clever way of spreading it out uh, over a time when most people are off work as well. Exactly. And uh, and yeah, just spreading it out across those days to to keep it keep it interesting and as you say, keep the discourse going over a, a week or so. I'd quite like in a future. I don't think it's gonna happen in this season, but in a future what if season. It'd be great to do in a what if with Infinity War if the other half of the Avengers were blipped instead. Like a flipping of characters would be quite interesting to explore that, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the first season of What If, you could kind of, from the trailer, you knew what it was going to be. Like, what if Captain Carter yeah, took the serum instead? What if T'Challa was taken instead of Peter Quill? But in this, I'm just like, what the hell is happening? Yeah, there's not many, but you can really Why is it like an Avengers, Avengers NASCAR derby? <laughs> and Jeff Goldblum yeah. just being Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I'm looking forward to what if Mad Max Sakaar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that looks crazy. There was something, though, wasn't this, about... So the first series, when they all came together at the end, and there was that version of Tony Stark that was hanging out with Gamora. Oh, yeah. And that yeah. was meant to be something to do with what if Tony Stark ended up on Sakaar. So maybe that is that episode because it got pushed back to series two. It'd be interesting to see how many cast members come back for it as well because season one did have a bulk of the original physical actors from the films doing the voice roles, but there were the odd roles like Iron Man that they didn't get people like Tony Stark... Uh, Robert Downey Jr. back for, but they got some good sound alike, so I wonder how many they've retained for season two. Yeah. Did you notice how at the end when it shows the title, the watcher is stood with someone? Do we know yeah, who that is? I did notice that. Like, Can we tell who it is? No, but yeah, the watcher like summons the titles in. It could be Strange Supreme who had to sort of keep watch over the multiverse after season one. I've just rewound it and took it frame by frame. It looks like it's Captain Carter. I was thinking and... that. I did think it, it looks like her. It's, it's, the whole time it seems like he's talking to someone. Yeah. I can't bear to narrate what might happen next. It is such a great line. <laughs> Anytime they want to bring Captain Carter back, I'm game. Yeah, same. Definitely. Uh, what else was in there? So like, what you were saying about like the 80s Avengers or something. I noticed more from freeze frames. So, like, 
Hank Pym, so then that's Michael Douglas coming back to voice him. Yeah. Um, into Charka, the Black Panther but before T'Challa. I was really confused at first when because you hear Ant Man speak, and I thought that doesn't sound anything like Paul Rudd. That's a rubbish sound alike. It's not meant to sound like Paul Rudd. It's meant to sound like Michael Douglas, which it does. <laughs> yeah, that's that's through me as well. But so first time watching the trailer, um. Because I another thing we need to talk about is I don't know if release of the titles of the episodes are accurate. I've seen reports of each title episode, but I don't know if that's definitely been confirmed. But it would fit in with that looks like the Avengers versus Peter Quill. Yeah. Why is Peter Quill shooting pink stuff at his hand? Who knows? But I, I've seen a couple of different lists uh, that are supposedly the episode titles, uh, mm. but they contradict each other, so... It's hard to say. Uh, I think we do know that episode one is what if Captain Carter fought the Hydra Stomper. So that's the sequel to episode one of season one. Yeah. But I think that's the only one that's been confirmed. Is that, it might be, what if Yondu delivered Star-Lord to Ego? Might be why he seems he has ridiculously cosmic powers. Which it touched on in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, didn't it? Once he was connected to that or the planet core where Ego is, he sort of tapped into those powers a little bit. I mean, if this one is accurate, I think it'd be fantastic. What if Wanda had grown up watching musicals instead of sitcoms? Because that would just rewrite WandaVision into musicals instead. I would love that. There's no real hint of that. In... There is a shot of Wanda, isn't there? But, but yeah, I'm, I'm invested. Uh, not, not every Marvel show has excited me, but I did really enjoy season one, so I am looking forward to this. A different list that was put out there from uh, Can We Get Toast on Twitter, said that episode one was going to be what if Nebula joined the Nova Corps, so I guess that's wrong. Although he does have what if Captain Carter fought the Hydra Stomper lower down, so maybe he's just got them in the wrong order. Because then there's one that's what if Peter Quill attacked from Earth's Mightiest Heroes, what if Hela found the Ten Rings, which Hela was definitely in there, what if Iron Man crashed into the Grand Master, which could be the yeah uh, that racing episode on Sakaar. What if Happy Hogan saved Christmas? <laughs> Which I think there was a, a shot of something Christmassy in there. So th this list is looking more accurate. Yeah, and then we've got what if the Avengers assembled in 1602? And can we get toasties normally more accurate? Because that we've spoke about them before, and they seem to be quite heavily involved within Marvel. And then what they've got listed as episode 10, although the trailer says it's a nine-episode event, so that might cast some doubt on this list. But what he's got listed as episode 10 is what if Strange Supreme intervened. So unless they're planning on dropping a surprise 10th episode... Could be. I loved his episode. I know he was in the Guardians of the Multiverse episode, but um, or Avengers of the Multiverse, whatever. But his individual episode in season one was fantastic. It was, was and great. it's the kind of thing that I love about What If, is that they can do things that you would never be able to do in a movie. Like, at, at the end, actually, no, it, like you expect him to be, to fix everything. And no, his universe just ends. He fucked up, okay. his universe ends. And that's something that you, you can only do in a show like this or Rick and Morty. Okay, so I have, there is a list of cast here as well that I've got. Um, I'll just read out the ones that are 
as you were saying, Ben, um, you're wondering how many people are gonna they're gonna retain. So I've got Sebastian Stan as Bucky Barnes, Kobe Smolders as Maria Hill, Elizabeth Olsen as Scarlet Witch, um Taika Waititi as Korg, Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner, Benedict Cumberbatch, Doctor Strange, Josh Brolin as Thanos, Jeff Goldblum as Grandmaster, Kurt Russell as Ego, Michael Rooker as Yondu, Chris Hemsworth as Thor, Jeremy Renner as Clint Barton, Evangeline Lilly as Hope Van Dyne, Michael Dusluk as Hank Pym, Kate Blanchett as Hella, uh, Lawrence Fishburne as Bill Foster, and uh, Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. So it seems like if that list is right, they've got more of the original voice than last season. Where's that list from? Covered Geekly. Okay. Well, I'm just thinking, like, why would Lawrence Fishburne be but like he's felt like such a minor character? I remember in season one, one of the producers said they asked everyone and just thought what would stick. Yeah. So it could be that they're pleasantly surprised and Lawrence Fishburne was actually like, oh, yeah, I'll do it. Hayley Atwell as Peggy Carter again. I can't remember the character's name who's in Guardians of the Galaxy is the um, collector's assistant. Very brief role, but yeah, she did yeah. return to voice the role. The pink one. If. So they had literally asked everyone who'd done it before. Yeah. I will no longer be your slave. That's the character, yeah. <laughs> um, but I can't see Avengers assembling in 1602. They're going to be like William Shakespeare is going to join the Avengers. So there is a 1602 like multiversal Marvel comic book, which is a really great read. There is obviously the before we move on to the other trailer, the rumor because um, I said Taika Waititi coming back for the voice of Korg. Taika Waititi himself has said that he is not working on four five. Thank God. And had said that Chris Hemsworth is returning. Yeah, which I think. Makes we sense. already knew that, but yeah, I, I, I'm glad for the confirmation. But as much as like I loved Ragnarok, it felt like that was Taika Waititi a bit more reined in, and then Love and Thunder was him just doing what he wanted with it, and it was nonsensical. Yeah, and I think because of Ragnarok's success, they probably gave him that free reign, thinking that lightning would strike twice. But I, think, <laughs> I didn't mean to make a pun there, but <laughs> uh... Ben always think... means to make a pun. <laughs> I think that is true. But Ragnarok, I think he didn't write, he directed. So I think that was part of the compromise that reined him in a bit, whereas okay. he did write and direct Love and Thunder. I, I love Taika Waititi and I think he's so funny. But I think Thor has had such a bad run of movies. It had, Out of the four movies, it has two. It has one good one and one okay one. I really yeah. like the first Thor film. It's okay. Like I think it's better than okay. I think it's I think it's really good, but okay. yeah, Dark World bad. Okay. Love and Thunder bad. Love and Thunder is probably like the worst thing that Marvel have ever done. Uh, no, that's apparently the Marvels. Here's the injustice though. I know when I will get onto it, but Love and Thunder was still profitable. The Marvels yeah. probably won't be. Yeah, and the Marvels is a far far better film than Thor: Love and Thunder. Yeah. Uh, okay. Final trailer. Final bit. Oh, of here news. we go. Here he goes. He's going to go off on one here. Telling you, Madame Web. Uh, what did you guys think to the Madame Web trailer? No, 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 no. Come on, come on. You want my opinion first? I okay. want your opinion because we'll go with the rubbish opinions first, and then the correct ones. My overriding thought, watching this trailer, 
was I cannot believe that this has been made by the studio that actually has the rights to Spider-Man because it looks like a cheap B-movie knockoff of Spider-Man. It looks like they've, you know, filed the serial number off Spider-Man. And they can't use the word Spider-Man, so they'll say web instead. <laughs> yeah. It just, yeah, it, it doesn't... It doesn't look interesting. It looks cheap. It looks like like they keep doing, like Morbius. It looks, looks like a Sony like movie. I think Craven looked. It looks like something that's like twenty years late. It looks like a film that should have been made in the early two thousands. It looks dated before it's even been released. Looks like the original Spider Man trilogy. It looks like it reminds me of. Did you ever watch True Calling? No. no. Which was it was a TV show that came out about twenty years ago, and it was about a girl called True because apparently that's her name, <laughs> uh, who, who, who basically like had visions. Did of she have calling? People dying and had to. Yeah, that was her calling. Her calling. That's worse were than her, one of my visions. <laughs> like it's one of those really laboured titles where they've obviously they've come up with the title first and like right how do we make this make sense okay she's called true it's like um that family guy joke it's like and that's how i became superman 4 the quest for peace <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he said it he said it yeah exactly uh, I, I watched it just before we came on that you know just we're getting set up and i just can't get enthused for this weird sony universe of spider-man villains it's weird having them without a clear goal towards how they're going to incorporate that with spider-man are they going to fight tom holland is it going to be andrew garfield is it going to be toby Maguire? like yeah. the venom films and venom 2 in particular the only ones that have really been decent of the sort of solo films yeah. they're doing i just think like spider-man is more ingrained in uh multiversal law than most comic book characters like multiversal spider people are a big part of Spider-Man comics. And I just think like there's so many different Spider-Men that's not just the Peter Parker Spider-Man that they could be doing films about that it makes me think there must be something in their agreement with Marvel that says that they can't make films about any Spider-Man. They can just make films about other characters around Spider-Man. Because otherwise, why would you not be doing a Spider-Man noir film why would you not be doing a Spider-Man 2099 film? I mean, there's some good characters in here which I'm excited to see. Is there? Yes. There's uh, Ezekiel Sims, who seems to bear no relation to the Ezekiel Sims of the comic book. Like, that guy doesn't even have a costume. It's just an old guy with spider powers. Who uh, He turns up every now and again to warn Peter of impending doom. The, the guy that was in the, in the forest and got bit by a spider. Uh, well, he was, I think in the comics, he got his spider powers from, uh, like experimentation. A jungle spiders. But he does tie in quite closely with the Spider-Verse storyline from the comic books, which is centred around uh, a character called Morlan and his family, who I think are they called the Inheritors? And they are like vampire-like creatures, they feed on spider totems. So, like, the, the spider-powered people throughout the multiverse in the comics are, like, spider totems. 
which is why all the spiders have to come together for Spider-Verse to defeat the Inheritors, because the Inheritors are traveling the multiverse just feeding on spider people. So I wonder if they're trying to build up to something like that by introducing Ezekiel Sims. But like I said, in, in the comic book, he turns up to warn Peter Parker of that. Uh, he, he is not a villainous character. In this, he seems like a guy who dresses in a cheap knockoff of a Spider-Man costume and, like, just murders people. Just It's the equivalent of if DC said, like, we're going to do a solo Penguin film and a solo Riddler film, a solo Joker film, <laughs> I a mean, solo no, Bane film without <laughs> Batman ever turning up. Ben, you say that. They've already made a solo Joker film. They are currently making a solo terrible. Penguin TV series. Oh, dear. <laughs> what have so, I done? Yeah, they're doing exactly what you said. But yeah, it is just like that. Like, Why the hell would you do that without Batman? Why would you do any of these films without Spider-Man? As much as I enjoyed Venom 2... I still do not understand the thinking around making a Venom film completely unattached to Spider-Man. He's defined by his relationship with Spider-Man. Exactly. Even if, you know, that they could have done a, a Venom-Spider-Man film first where Spider-Man fights Venom, and then Venom could have got a spin-off, but at least he's had that interaction, and it explains, like, a lot of his powers and his, his look and everything. Like, he doesn't have the big spider on his chest in those films, does he? But... I'd be hyped enough if it the, the big twist was that he's going to fight Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man and he's the Spider-Man of that universe. I'd be perfectly happy with that. But I don't yeah. think that's going to happen. And if it is just a random casting of another Peter Parker, you're going to be like, oh, okay, but Tom Holland's still doing the role in the MCU, so what's the point? Yeah. Yeah, I, like I said, I, I just I don't know why you wouldn't be doing other... Like, surely they... They could be doing a Miles Morales film like that would do numbers, sure. I mean, you would expect so, but like, who knows with the state of the box office these days? But you would expect that that would do well. Miles is a popular character, definitely, and rightly so. And it probably puts some agency back into Sony's hands because then, if it is a success as it should be, that puts the pressure on Marvel to be like, oh, we should incorporate him through the multiverse or through a crossover or whatever into the MCU as well, which is obviously what Sony want. Yeah, so that's why I can only think that there's a clause in their agreement where Sony can't use any version of Spider-Man for one of their solo films. Well, I'm am I the only one here that's happy that we're getting female Spider people? Uh, no, no, I'm I'm these misogynistic bastards. <laughs> Jessica Drew Spider-Man, I would love to see, uh, and Silk, I would love to see. Uh, they're they're two great characters. Gwen Stacy in live action again as well. Yeah. In this, obviously, we've got Sydney Sweeney as Julia Carpenter, who is one of the Spider Women. You've got Celeste O'Connor as Matty Franklin, who's another Spider Man, Spider Man, Spider Woman. And then you've got Isabella Merced as Anya Corazon, who's Arana. Yeah. And I think the costumes in the trailers look sick. To be fair. For but them. they don't even. I don't know. They don't. I, I. I think they look like cheap costumes. Again, I think they look like costumes from uh, a film that would have come out twenty years ago. It reminds me of like original Fantastic Four movie costumes. Uh, I think that's about how much production value they've got. But also from the looks of the trailer, it looks like that's Madame Web's visions of those characters. I don't think they're actually wearing those costumes. 
in real life in the film. Well, you never know. But obviously, we've got Dakota Johnson as Cassandra Webb, and I think she's a great actress. I mean, the character of Cassandra Webb is not something that I'm massively fascinated by. She's just basically... A... She's basically the Oracle from The Matrix, but for spider people. Yeah, I kind of... I understand why they've gone with a younger version of Madame Webb, but I, I kind of wish they'd gone for an older, more comic book accurate... Well, this is her starting out, isn't it? She's yeah. only just kind of realising that she is psychic. Madame Webb is an interesting character with interesting storyline potential in other films. I think you're just being too harsh. She's not really a character that you base an entire film around. But also, you can get away with making a film around any character. If you you know dive deep enough into any character, you can find something interesting to do with. But I just didn't think this trailer looked interesting, and I thought it looked cheap. And I'm worried they'll do another post credit scene like Morbius, where it's like it was written by Tommy Wiseau in terms of the dialogue. <laughs> I've not even seen... What's the post credit scene in that? Because I've not even seen that film, because I refuse. I've not either, but I've seen the post credit scene. It's basically Vulture appearing randomly to Morbius and being like, I don't know how I got here. Something to do with Spider-Man, I think. We should team up intriguing and that's pretty much the dialogue uh, okay because it came out not long after no way home i think it was hastily shot as like a, let's try and capitalize on this but it didn't make any sense because why was vulture taken from the mcu to the sony spider-man universe when that's not how the spell worked just made no sense yeah i did like i did like seeing morbius in the tva though mobius i, I think all of the Sony Spider-Man films have been like like ha hasn't made any sense. Sony just need to get rid of the contract because Sony clearly can't make good movies anymore. I mean, you wouldn't though, would you? Like, Spider-Man is a billion, multi-billion-dollar property. You would not give that up willingly. I know, but are they making money on these terrible films? Because I'm in the, I think I'm in the majority of it, in the minority of the Venom and Venom 2 were terrible films. I'm just thinking, what, what films have they made? Morbius, I don't think, made money. Craven's not come out yet, but I can't imagine that's going to make money. Um, but both Venom films have made a profit. Somehow. Um, what else have they done? Anything? Uh, all the Spider-Man films. Which, obviously, they make a profit. Yeah. They make those in conjunction What they now, with though, based studios. on what we're saying with cinemas? Spider-Man's one of those characters. But if a Spider-Man film doesn't do well, like even the bad Spider-Man films, it's the end. Yeah, even bad Spider-Man films have historically made a profit. Spider-Man Three made a profit, or made a. It big made profit. more than one and two. Well, yeah, it did. 3. It did really well. The only reason they rebooted it is because of the critical reception, not because it was doing poorly financially. And then even the Amazing Spider-Man films, I think there was a drop-off, but they made good money. I liked the <clears throat> the first one. Wait. Yeah, the Amazing Spider-Man with yeah. the lizard as the villain. Yeah, that was a yeah. And on rewatch, it's a it's a decent film. Yeah, and the second one has this scene where obviously Gwen Stacy dies, and that is a we yeah. we've said before that is a fantastic scene. And no matter how bad that movie is, that yeah. is a fantastic scene. It's an incredible scene in a terrible film. <laughs> yeah, and it's got a good payoff in No Way Home, which I think adds to it. Yeah. Um, 
But Amazing Spider-Man 2 fell into the trap that Spider-Man 3 did, where you suddenly cluster in too many villains and don't do them justice. That's the trap that Spider-Man films tend to fall into, which is why this new universe is possibly doing that again, because you're doing these random solo films. It was a little bit of the trap that No Way Home fell into. No Way Home is not a bad movie, I'm not saying that, but it was slowly falling into the trap of too many many villains and not giving them enough Well, to be be honest, I think No Way Home showed that too many villains isn't necessarily a bad thing. No, I'm not saying it was a bad thing. I'm saying they were dangerously close to... But that's what I'm saying. No Way Home had a lot of villains. It had more villains than any other Spider-Man film and was still a good film. Yeah. So I I think it's lazy to say that the problem with Spider-Man 3 and the problem with Amazing Spider-Man 2 was the amount of villains. I think the problem with Spider-Man 3 and The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is Sony. But also, No Way Home had lots of villains, like you say, but it was with a purpose. It was a villain from every film. You know, villains that the Spider-Men we'd already seen had fought. Whereas Spider-Man 3 in particular was just, let's put Venom in there because... Like, you could take Venom out of Spider-Man 3 and it would not affect the plot. It would enhance it. Take Sandman out. Sandman in that film annoys me. He's got a bit more pathos because of his daughter, but again... I yeah, but he just anyone... switches sides so easily. But it could have... Spider-Man 3, I don't think anyone would have complained if it just been Spider-Man versus the new Green Goblin, Harry Osborn. No one would have said that was a disappointment. That would have been compelling enough, and that's what it should have gone down, really. But I, I think Sam Raimi just wanted to do Sandman, and Sony made him put in, oh, we've got to have a payoff of the Green Goblin thing. We've got to have uh, Venom in there. So I think if they had just focused on Sandman, that there's a a more interesting story to be told there than what he was able to tell because it had been bulked out with everything else. I think yeah, if it true. was Sandman and Green Goblin, it would have worked because obviously throughout the other films, the payoff there worked, in my opinion. And then Harry Osborn needed a reason to obviously save Peter again. But if it, Do you know what I mean? I mean, we can agree, can't we, that Harry Osborn's Goblin costume was terrible. Oh, God. It's not as bad as the Green Goblin in The Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, crikey, yeah. <laughs> With the spiky hair. Yeah, yeah, that's... Like, the, the, the best Green Goblin outfit is, again, in No Way Home. Yeah, I mean, Willem Dafoe is more terrifying with the mask off than on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Imagine running into that on the street, you'd be like, no, I'm good. We've got sidelined again. Shall we talk about the Marvels? Yes, if you want. Let's discuss the Marvels. And as we've said, it's done really poorly at the box office. And I think we've all already said that's, you know, it's a bit of a disappointment because it is a, a really good film. It is a really good film. And I say a disappointment, like, you know, it doesn't make any difference to me if you know Disney's not making enough money. It's a disappointment to me because they're less likely to make a sequel to it if it's not making good money. One thing yes. I have noticed, though, is... If you look in comment sections about this film, I don't know if you do that or if you avoid them. <laughs> it depends. But if you look in comment sections, people seem to pretty unanimously agree that Iman Vellani is the best thing about this movie. Yeah, she yeah. is. I mean, she's she's fantastic. Kamala Khan is just a brilliant character, and she yeah. lives that role. And are, are we going to talk non-spoilers first, or shall we just get straight into spoilers with this one? It'll fuck them. They can go watch it. 
Okay, if you've not seen the Marvels, maybe stop listening now. And go watch it. And go watch give it. A, give him a couple more quid. Yeah. Every little helps. But yeah, Iman Valani, fantastic in this film. I I was like smiling every time she was on screen because I think her, because, you know, we know in real life she is a Marvel fan. And I think just her excitement of being in this film shows uh, in the character. Definitely, and that's what that's one of my worries about the box office not being good for this film. You mentioned like we might not get a sequel, but you might not get more big role. I mean, she's obviously going to feature in Marvel going forward, but I don't want Iman Vellani's role to be in any way diminished because of the reaction to this. Because yeah. I think the film as a whole have had, has had three really strong female characters, which has been fantastic to see. And the last thing you want them to do is sort of cater to. I know people on genuine merits have disagreed with this film and not liked it, that's fine. But there definitely is a subsection of incels and misogynists who don't like strong female characters and will use another justification for not liking this film, but really that's why they don't like the film. And I just think it'd be a real shame if that derails plans they had for more films like this going forward. And even, I was always excited to see Kamala Khan feature and obviously Carol Danvers again. I initially wasn't that bothered about seeing Monica Rambeau again, but actually I thought they did a good justice in this film. Like, they didn't sort of just skim over her with Carol Danvers and think, oh yeah, nice to see you again. They actually added in some tension there of like, yeah, where were you? You were my hero when I was sort of growing up sort of thing. I'm glad they covered that and didn't just skim over it, especially when the film had a lower runtime. Out of the three of the Marvels, I think... She is the least interesting of the three to me. She she is still a good character, and I think uh, Teona Paris is clearly a gifted actress. Brie Larson, I've said many times before, is fantastic. Uh, in fact, just before we recorded this episode, I watched another uh, episode of Lessons in Chemistry, which I mentioned on the podcast a few weeks ago. She's fantastic in that. Like, just that the, there's. And, Anything that I've seen her in, I've been impressed by her acting ability. And same with Iman Vellani, I am so excited to see what she will do in the future. Because I, I think she's got a bright future ahead of her as an actress. I really hope she does. As you say, I hope the reception to this doesn't change that. And I don't think it will, because I think anyone who's casting will be able to see the talent there um and like i said she, she is being received well by audiences as far as i can see whether this film itself makes money or not and i wouldn't be surprised if they bump up her role in future projects i hope so i mean you st- you're still going to get some annoying people speaking out against that like i did see a tweet it was hammered to be fair by others but saying that her sort of hero worshipping got irritating in the film which I didn't think it did actually and also it was held to a double standard or a higher standard because we've seen that in the MCU before with other characters like Ant-Man hero worshipping everyone yeah Spider-Man with Tony Stark and people find that funny and it was funny yet when it comes to Marla Khan a woman yeah exactly and a woman of colour suddenly they're saying oh no that's irritating when no it's not but no this frustrates me as well it comes back to the sort of the misogyny and that toxic aspect ever since captain marvel 
Brie Larson's debut, there's just been this weird obsession with sections of the internet of hating her. And it does come down to misogyny. And it's just, no need it pathetic. It's just toxic. And I just hope those voices aren't listened to because it just has a negative impact on society. It's like this, whenever, <laughs> whenever a movie comes out with that sort of person, do you know that people just seem to like, focus on to channel their hatred they don't talk about the movie no yeah. you're right yeah i saw one that was like i got the quote because it really like i was just like okay said i went to see the marvels i hate brie larson because she just popped up on youtube stealing shine from creators who have had to struggle to get monetized she had a ton of subscribers without doing anything and is an entitled narcissist with a phony pr backstory that's a really interesting review. <laughs> You're saying that a person who's already famous and well-known can get more subscribers than someone who isn't. That is shocking. Yeah, it's amazing. I remember during Endgame as well, people were saying, oh, apparently she's not on the Avengers WhatsApp group. It's like, who cares? You're judging the film on its merits and its acting abilities. Whether it's she's in a WhatsApp, WhatsApp group, group has nothing to do with how good the film is. Do they mean in the MCU or the actors' WhatsApp group? No, the actors' WhatsApp both. group. Both. Well, both, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. She's like, leave me out of it. I don't get a signal in space, you know, saving every other planet. And, you know, the, 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 the gleeful about the box office being bad for this one, but yet when Captain Marvel made over a billion, they were like frothing in the mouth about that as well. So you just you can't reason with these people. Yeah, and I, I do think it's... It is a wider trend than just Marvel films are making less money. It is a wider trend through the box office as a whole. Um, I think Marvel kind of gets the focus of it because they've been so dominant for so long at this point. Definitely, yeah. But that there's there's more to it than Marvel fatigue or even superhero fatigue. There's definitely bigger trends uh, at work. Yeah, it is outside the MCU as well. I'd add to that as well. Then there's a bit of a guilt by association. It's almost the the analogy I'd use is like a whole class is kept behind for detention because there's been a vocal minority of people misbehaving. And I feel like the Marvels is one of the students that was behaving, but because of films <laughs> like Quantumania, Baller and Thunder, the misbehaviors, they're now it's now been lumped in with that group of films of like declining quality and saying, Oh yeah, ergo the Marvels is bad as well. I know that's a clunky analogy, but it just seems like there's been that. No, I, I like that. The Marvels was a good film in its own right, but because of this perception of a declining quality, which is true to an extent, that's like passed on to the Marvels, even though it didn't deserve to have that criticism, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good analogy. <laughs> the naughty school kids have had the MCU. We'll move away from the like discourse around the film and to the film itself. Uh, in a second, but we were talking about Iman Balani and how much we enjoyed her performance in this. I've also, like, everything I've seen from her since the Marvels came out has made me like uh, her as an actress more as well. So when she was questioned about the box office for the Marvels, she basically said, like, yeah, that's, that's nothing to do with me. Like, let Bob Iger worry about that. I've got the full quote here. I'll go on, read it then. She said, I don't want to focus on something that's not even in my control because what's the point? That's for Bob Iger. The box office has nothing to do with me. I'm happy with the finished product and the people that I care about 
enjoyed the film. It's genuinely a good time watching this movie, and that's all we can ask for with these films. It has superheroes. It takes place in space. It's not that deep, and it's about teamwork and sisterhood. It's a fun movie, and I'm just so happy that I can share it with people. And I think that is just such a mature outlook to have. Yeah, well said. Very well said. She's what? She, she's 21, so she's, you know, she's yeah. not a kid. But also, yeah, I think that is still a very mature way to look at it. Um, and I agree with everything that she said. It is it is just a fun superhero movie set in space. Stop taking it so seriously. Watch it and have fun. That's what it's And be for. grateful for the runtime. Like, even good films can drag on a bit because it seems to be the default in cinema now. They have to be at least two and a half hours long. So the fact this was about an hour and 45 minutes. It, I don't think it dragged once. No, it was. I was never bored watching it. It was bright and breezy. Um, flowed really well. Had my dose of flirkins in there. Yeah, Goose's offspring. Um, and the, I thought the action scenes person, I know there's always the questions about CGI overload, but I thought the action scenes were well choreographed. And it was a nice solution to the narrative problem of Carol Danvers's powers, because I remember after watching Captain Marvel, which again, I really enjoyed, you think, crikey, she's really powerful. How are you going to sort of mitigate that because she is such a powerful superhero? I thought this was a real novel way, rather than like coming up with a random weakness, the fact it was the power swap and they had to learn how to use the powers, not exactly at the same time to work as a team, was just a nice way to sort of tackle that issue. The, l- the little training scene, that was fantastic. Yeah, montage. I don't think the CGI, though, I don't think it was like when we talk about big CGI fight scene, I don't think it was. No, it was clean CGI as well, I think. There's, yeah. there's the odd scene when they were stood... And you thought, oh, that's a green screen. But other than that, it looked quite clean. Yeah, and there, there was still some clunky CGI in there, but generally it wasn't. Obviously, there's a lot of CGI in the fight scenes. It, I didn't think that looked bad. It tended to be the smaller scale things. So when the film first opens and you've got the villain, whose name I can't even remember, I think that's probably my biggest negative about this film is a fairly bland, forgettable villain. Yeah. Which wasn't Zora Ashton's fault herself, but... No, no. You know, more to do with possibly the writing, because there was... They were trying to do a sort of compelling... Dar... She's a vic- Dar you know, Yeah, victim of a, of a war and planet being affected, but it didn't really flesh that out enough. She's another so, Ben variant. Another Ben variant, yeah. Dar Ben. <laughs> uh, but in that that opening scene when she first gets the uh, the bracelet the bangle on some alien planet that that looked very like the background like you said it, you can just see that it's a green screen it looks very I don't know flat behind her it doesn't look real and I know obviously you can't go and film on a alien planet. But there's got to be some quarries or something that you could have gone and filmed that in and it would have just given it a bit more realistic texture. And then, you know, CGI with a towel. CGI the sky. Exactly. Or use the volume to help flesh that out a bit more. You know, the LED screen technology that yeah. Disney probably got. did do that on the volume. I don't know. Possibly, because it can... I mean, we all agree Love and Thunder was a terrible film, but it, the use of the volume in that did look good. You know, like when Thor's meditating in that montage. Yeah. That was the volume, and it made it look a bit more um, realistic. But yeah. I think you're right Should about... we talk about Quantumania, CGI? 
Let's not. <laughs> Let's not. Let's not talk about that film. Um, but the cl- the close quarters combat in the Marvels was really good. I think, like you said, Jason, because it that looked more realistic. It's a bit more grounded. It wasn't the generic sky beam CGI. Yeah. And it was just, you know, seeing their different power sets working together was just really cool to look at on screen. Yeah. There were a few bits where Captain Marvel, there's one in particular where she's she flies into the ship and you can you can spot like when it's CGI and then when it's actually Brie Larson again. And I just like I, I saw that, and it just like makes me cringe a little bit. It's like, why, why can we still not get the CGI right? Like, are we still rushing it? Are we, have you not taken this feedback on board yet to spend the, the time to really work on the CGI? And... I mean, is there any film that's got CGI hundred percent correct? Yeah, there's plenty of films that have done CGI well. You know what? I watched Casper last weekend, and the CGI in that holds up better than some more modern films because it wasn't rushed to be done in a week but the other thing I was thinking when like you know she's flying in and it's like oh that's like really ugly CGI and really obvious CGI what happened to like good old fashioned wire work that would have probably looked better health and safety I think the main reason CGI gets overused so much now is so that it can be tweaked and changed and edited on the fly so you can watch a cut of the film and go actually let's change that to be doing that and when it's 100% CGI that's easy to do but maybe that's where they're going wrong and there's something about an actual person person and the movements that can just never be replicated perfectly it's those close up shots as well I think it it was better than more recent Marvel films have been there was nothing in this that was as egregious as uh, Modoc. There was <laughs> nothing in this that was... No, it's the background in that film for me that's bad. Sure, no, don't make me splice in a clip here of you saying how good it looked because you did. It did look good. Don't you but... Don't you try and change your opinion now. It did look good, but, when, like but when, you re-watch, when you re-watch it... Uh, it's like you forget that these episodes are recorded. <laughs> No, I've just rewatched the film since then because I was bored. No, you haven't. Nobody I have. has. No, you I genuinely did. Simpson, I... Nobody has. <laughs> I genuinely did rewatch it. I, I, do you know what? It's because my household thing went off on Netflix, so I had nothing else to watch, and it popped up, and I went, "Fuck it, that'll be a laugh." Why'd you play yourself through that? Because it's really funny to see Modoc. Because of how bad that is. Uh, but no, so there's nothing quite as bad as that in this film. There's nothing quite as bad as the raining babies in The Flash. No, true. But I love how um, Kamala's family had a bit of a bigger role than I thought they'd have. I thought they would have been like in it at the very beginning, but they Same. are a funny family unit and they are entertaining, so it was it We, was were, great sa- we were saying the when we did a review of Miss Marvel that the family are some of the best parts of that show. Definitely, and like even the brother was funny in the film, like when he's praying in the ship and Next year, it's like, are you praying? It's like, yeah. It's like, well, don't stop. <laughs> I still stand by my favourite line in this film. Jason didn't catch it in the moves. I don't know if you did, Ben. When Nick Fury is holding Goose and Goose goes to eat someone, he goes, not my good eye. <laughs> like, very slightly, he says, not my good eye. And I was like, that is brilliant. Yeah, and he's such a charismatic actor, as we know. And it was, again, great to have 
him back in this, especially after another thing we shouldn't talk about, Secret Invasion. Ah, oh, that thing we shouldn't talk about, but let's talk. <laughs> let's not talk about it again. Just We just referenced it, but um, let's move on. It did feel a bit like a Nick Fury retirement film. Like, he didn't really do... He sat in a chair for most of it. I don't think it. so. Like, I think he's, he's going to keep just having smaller roles like this. Pop up and, you know, do a bit of, you know, easy work for Samuel L. Jackson. Bit of wisecracking. Be... Yeah, easy, well-paid work, not having to do anything too action-y. But he's, at this point, mostly just there as a symbol. But, it you know, it still works. And I think that yeah. was another plus of having the family there with him because that was someone he could bounce off. And add a new element into because he hadn't quite interacted with characters like that before. Um, and I think that's worked really well. Sword is a lot bigger than I expected. Uh, saber, sword, saber, saber. Yeah. Uh, something I was glad we got, and I wished we'd got more of it, was Kamala's little like fantasy daydreaming and artwork. animated artwork. Yeah. I was really happy that we got that at the beginning, and then we didn't really get it again through the rest of the film. I suppose you could have there could have been a temptation to use it in the credits se- sequence, but that might have been similar to the Spider-Man films, that kind of yeah school animated style sort of thing. Um, but yeah, what it was cool to see, and that was a nice sort of nod to the, the TV series, which again, the Ms. Marvel TV series was always fantastic and um, really well made. So I'm glad that sort of fed into this. Yeah. But it, it, it was a Kamala Khan film. It was a Miss Marvel film, and that's no bad thing. Yeah. No, it's not a bad thing at all. I think that is, that was the right direction to go. And again, I hope we do get a Miss Marvel film or a Marvels two, if that makes sense. You know, having these three characters interact again because I just love the dynamic between all of them. But Kamala Khan definitely stole the show, and I think, like you said, Ben, that was kind of universal recognition or near universal recognition of that amongst people who've seen the film. What did we think to the music planet? That was quite an interesting dynamic they put in there. We talked about this when it first came out, didn't we? There was the the reveal of the aspect of some musicality. Yeah, I I think it's the it's it's for, it's the runtime, isn't it? Because they were going for a shorter runtime here. We didn't spend a lot of time on the music planet, and I think that was a good planet. thing. I, no, I I would have liked to have spent longer there. I thought there was a lot of fun to be had there that they only really scratched the surface of. I did like the dance scene where they have, they're having a conversation, but because they talk through singing, they'd sing it in. It was one of them that kind of messed with your head. Like It seems to be like a, a musical, yeah, a, a, a scene from a musical, but then you think, no, they're just having a conversation. Yeah, and I liked, I liked a little joke about Oh, no, you can understand that he's bilingual. Yeah. <laughs> and we know Brie Larson can sing, so she was always going to do that song. Yeah. Singing. She's fantastic. Um, yeah. But this is, I mean, a lot of sequels are accused of just remaking the original film. You certainly can't accuse the Marvels no. of just ripping off Captain Marvel. That's, again, another thing in its favour eh, is trying to do something different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the first time we see everyone swap, you get... Carol Danvers in Kamala's oh, bedroom. In a wardrobe. Kamala ends up in the spacesuit of Monica Rambeau. And Monica ends up on a random planet. It gets so much fun to be had there, especially with, as I said before, 
the two most interesting characters here are Kamala and uh, Carol Danvers. Um, yeah, Monica on a random planet. Yeah, it's fine. Um, but <laughs> I loved Kamala in the spacesuit um, transition from confusion and dread and panic to she sees and recognizes <laughs> Nick Fury, and it's it's like it, it instantly changes to to excitement. She does that squeal to... that she does every time she meets someone. <laughs> yeah. And it's a great new thing for Nick Fury because he's never really had anyone, he's not had any hero worship him sort of thing before from an Avenger or prospective Avenger. Yeah. So that's just something new for him. And he, he obviously knows of her because they've got data on her. Yeah. Yeah. I do kind of feel like he shouldn't be that well known that this random girl knows who <sighs> he is. Like, he's meant to be a spy. Maybe post Endgame, he did like a podcast series. Well, of no, life. it will be because all Shield info got leaked on the internet, didn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. why. That's why it happened because they were like, "Let's take down Shield," and and he blipped for a few years. So maybe he had to like to raise some money, like do a book deal or something. Be like, "Yeah, I, <laughs> I brought the Avengers together, bro." Just so you know. Just so yeah. <laughs> what would Nick Fury's autobiography be called? Oh, it's got to be a pun on the, the patch somehow. See him with one eye. Shall we ask or... ChatGPT? Yeah. yeah. Play the theme tune. Roll it. Chatting with the robot overlord. Or patching together the universe or something like that. Or patching together the Avengers. An eye for an eye, you could call it. <laughs> I kind of like that. So ChatGPT says, I am the storm, the Fury Chronicles. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like it. Um, oh, it's giving me a few different. Uh, it's giving me ten now. Fury Unleashed. That's rubbish. I of the Storm. My Life in Shield. Behind the Patch. Oh, I like that one. <laughs> Behind the Patch. There's this weird monkey eye. Uh, lies, lies, and LMDs for Nick Fury files. What? LMDs is life model decoys. What about A Cat Amongst the Pigeons, the Nick Fury story? <laughs> Alluding to Goose. Yeah. Anyway. Don't, don't um, Goose. <laughs> yeah, we could get all day on this. Um, and yeah, I, I loved Kamala's family's reaction to, like, so so when, when she teleports back to her house, and they're like, and what was Captain Marvel doing here? And she's and like, she, <gasps> yeah, she just freezes and doesn't know what to think. Like she's going to pass out. Yeah. It is. It is like that. Like she's holding a breath out of excitement. Like, oh my god, what's? <laughs> but also, I think disappointment that Captain Marvel's been in her house while she wasn't there. I mean, you would be gutted, wouldn't you? To be fair, <laughs> your parents have met you hero, but you haven't. Yeah, you'd never get over that. Do you know what I think? This film has a lot of that really stands up for it, and that's character development. I think there's a lot of character development for every character. I think there's some character development for every character. Well, I think there's a lot for Monica, definitely, because there is that, you know, almost been abandoned aspect and finding her own identity without a mother and the person she looked up to. There's a bit more of a grounding of Carol because, you know, she's gone off and helped fight for the universe and gone off to all these places, but it's the... It's almost like Doctor Who analogies. It's like the real life implications of like you go off on these adventures and save people, but then what happens to people are left behind? 
but also yeah. the fact that she's called the Annihilator. Yeah, and again, yeah. that kind of that's good growth on the first film because the first film, yeah, in the final third, when she discovers her true powers, again, it's bright and breezy. It's I've saved the day, job done, without thinking of the real, real world implications that you know innocent people could be caught in the crossfire of that. And I thought, yeah, it was good they delved into that. She's called the Annihilator, like with good reason. If you were a Cree, you would probably view her as a terrorist. Yeah, but I think there's a lot of character development for Kamala as well in the fact of becoming her own kind of high-level superhero. I think, yeah, now she she's met Captain Marvel and knows maybe not to put these heroes on a pedestal and and knows that she's not perfect and she's just trying her best the same as what Kamala is there's that moment when they're talking and she says to Captain Marvel saying that I'm sorry for like fangirling over you so hard at the start and there's that kind of her first instance of realising that it's not always a happy ending in each mission you know early on when they're going to try and rescue the Kree from the planet that's being destroyed. Yeah. And she's like, oh, we've got to save these other people. And Carol Danvers is like, no, we save who we can, we go. And that's kind of like a sobering moment for her. Like, oh, yeah, as a superhero, you will have these moments. You've got to make difficult decisions. Yeah. And it's like, oh, no, this isn't all just fun and fun and games and, you know, easy to do. You've got these sacrifices to make. Yeah, in Miss Marvel, she kind of had this kind of singular objective most of through do you know in the long run of the show and i think she didn't have to make too many like massive decisions on that level do you know where it's like we save 50 percent of the people and let 50 percent die because we can save 50 percent. yeah and it, it, that, that was an interesting sort of semi-surprise with carol because she is so powerful and strong will I was almost taken aback a bit when she's like, no, we say we can, we go. It's like even she can't say yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh, crikey, wow, this is actually quite, for a light and bright film that's a fun film, that's kind of a a serious moment. Yeah, no, it was. It was quite a quite a sobering moment as well. And I, I think it, it, it does just drive home to Kamala and to the audience as well that, like, okay, this, this woman isn't perfect. Um, I think at that point as well, they'd not learn really to control the the switching. So I guess if Captain Marvel had flown over there, there was every possibility that she was going to swap yeah. places with uh, with Kamala or with uh, Monica. I think she says that briefly, doesn't she? She's like, I'm going here, don't use your powers sort of thing. Yeah. But instinctively, Kamala does at one stage because there's rocks falling and she can see Kree trying to flee from there. Yeah, yeah. Skrulls. There were scrolls on that planet, yeah. But, sorry, so, sorry, scrolls, not crew. I am going to have to mention Secret Invasion. Oh, no, God. why? Were we not, <laughs> not told by Talos that all the scrolls had come to Earth? Yeah, but we got told that there were like seven million of them. And at the end of the film, they promised that they'd find them a place. But this isn't a new scroll society, is it? Like, this isn't just a new home that they've recently found. This is an established. Uh, society going on here with a we don't we don't, uh, we don't we don't know how long after it is well i guess it's 
Like, we just don't know. It can't, it can't be that long after. Well, also, Nick Fury was quite depressed and down be the end of Secret Invasion. That all seems to have gone out the window by the time of the Marvels. Yeah, so I think it is a bit further than you'd expect on. Or it's just a shrug of the shoulders of That's Secret it, Invasion wasn't very good. It's it's a don't think too much into it, let's carry on. <laughs> the kind of yeah. thing you might expect from DC, but Marvel's normally better at, at its connectivity than that. Because I think you did need to see Miss Marvel to understand this. You didn't need to see Secret Invasion. That was the that that was the first thing I thought when I, I saw the place. Though. To have seen Miss Marvel to have seen this. I also I, I don't f- think you needed mm, to have seen Wonder Division think... to have to have understood this. I thought Monica did a really good job of just like brushing off the, you know, I walked through a witch of sex and I got powers. You don't need to know the details of it. I think you would have there would have been a lot more questions if you hadn't watched them. I think this with with all superhero films you don't need to get hung up on the why of they've got powers just like this person is a superhero they have powers okay next yeah like, that's the thing i think it's it helps to watch things like wandavision and miss marvel to understand this but i wouldn't say it's essential it gives extra context to it but kamala's a mutant she's got powers and it makes that you know clear even in the film yeah that's why i just think from everything we've discussed and how enjoyable it was. I think we're all agreed on that. It is just a shame that... I know Disney's a big company, but it's a shame this probably isn't going to be profitable. And again, I just worry about the repercussions of that. And any sort of enabling of any toxic elements of I told you so, whereas this was a fun movie and it was a good movie. And not every film that's come onto Disney Plus after being in the cinema, I've been like, oh, I can't wait to rewatch it. But this is one where I do really want to rewatch it as soon as it comes out. Yeah, same. The place switching was such a cool visual tool. It made all the fight scenes way more interesting. And like that first fight, I was I was enjoying that so much. So you know, but the fight scene that was taking place in three different locations with these three different yeah. characters all swapping places. So you've got Kamala's house, you've got the like space elevator to Saber, and then you've got that planet. And I think all three of them at different points end up in each of the locations yeah it looked it looked fantastic and those li- little bits of stuff with humor like the frustration of like oh i'm in this place now or i'm in that place i just yeah. thought it was really well done and again it more visually interesting than if you had I was screaming at the fact that goose just swallowed someone yeah and it's a human reaction rather than just like oh <laughs> i'm a superhero i'll just ignore that it's like yeah actually what the hell you know what's normal <laughs> yeah. for carol isn't normal for kamala and seeing those Power switches is more interesting than if we'd just seen Carol Danvers just superhero punching a, a supervillain or film. This was a far more interesting way to see a fight. Yeah, there, there was some great, like the, the way that it was edited together with like when someone had used their powers and it wasn't just like they blipped out of existence. It tended to, I don't think it was every time, but it tended to follow that character. So it was like the background changed around them and suddenly they were somewhere new. Yeah rather than just seeing them disappear and someone appear in their place. Um, I really like, so in that scene, when Kamala's on the space elevator, she does her, like, the comic book version of her power, which is, like, stretchy fist, and she uses her hard light to make a big stretchy fist and push someone, which I thought was a nice nod to the comics. Yeah, and it's just a bit more innovative. I think, you know, thinking to, like, the Zack Schneider films with Superman, 
Superman, again, is a great character and lots of different power sets, but it did just fall into a repetitive pattern of, I'll punch into this building, then I'll punch into that building and this one. Yeah. And you could fall into that trap with Carol Danvers as well, because the powers are quite similar in some ways. But they didn't do that, which I think is really admirable. Yeah. Um... Yeah, they, d- they do a good job of managing how powerful she actually is. But also just making it visually interesting. And they do that with all three of them, I think. So, like, Kamala's clearly been learning new ways to use her powers between yeah. Miss Marvel and this. Like, there's what, so when she's on the space station where Carol originally was, she, like, she kicks someone, which makes her foot all glowy and crystallized, and kicks someone, and then, like, makes a, a pole in the air, like, that she can grab onto and swing off to hit somebody else. And it's not just, it's not just making platforms or hitting people with fists. Like, there are really interesting things that they do with it. Uh, similarly with Monica, like her whole like vision style phasing through people and, you know, hitting someone. And then when they swing a punch back, she's not dodging. She's just letting the fist swing straight through her before she re-solidifies and can attack again. I felt like Kamala's the, um, the geode sort of power she does, do you know, when they were falling? Yeah, yeah. I thought that was kind of quite a nice nod to the show because she does it in, I think, one of the final episodes. Yeah, you know what I was thinking when she was falling is she needed to make like a slide that had slowly. I, th- I was thinking, around. why didn't she make a paraglider? <laughs> yeah. Or an umbrella. Yeah, that would and work. Mary Poppins, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> but then the fact it wasn't wrapped up into a nice bow at the end, like there were consequences of the decisions and the battle and the final battle and the fact that actually Monica's now in a different universe. And that it was heartbreaking for both Carol and Kamala. Yeah, because they they properly bonded towards the end and they worked out each other's quirks and foibles and a good, you know, a friendship had blossomed and then they're separated, which is, you know, the way the tone of the film was going, I wasn't expecting that. I thought, oh no, the three of them will walk off into the sunset at the end exchange numbers jobs are good and sort of thing but that didn't happen you know monica yeah. did sort of and it made that sacrifice it was a nice moment between kamala and carol in the plane at the end yeah it's like just that was good just looking after it i was disappointed that they never managed to give monica a superhero name yeah what do you think to the costume change because Personally, I thought they all started with better costumes than they ended with. No, I disagree. I I prefer the new costumes. On all three of them? Yes. I quite like Carol's costume. That It was like quite a practical... She could walk around in a civvies and have it just ready to... Almost like a hoodie sort of thing. Yeah, and I think out of the three new ones, hers is probably the best. Um... Yeah, I, I really like the costume that Kamala starts in a lot more than the one that she finishes in. I don't know, I like that it looks a bit more homemade. That's what I, that's what I liked about her new outfit, is that it looked a bit flashy. I don't know, it looked like there's too much going on on that new one. Even with the old and new ones, the good thing is that none of the costumes are sexualized, which is something that MCU and Marvel rightly moving away from it's been a yeah. problem early doors in the mcu but i think they're fortunately moving away from that yeah they're also very distinctive costumes like 
it's it's something that Marvel I think have done really well with since they started out with Iron Man one is just leaning into the comic book like over the topness of the costumes. Before that, there was always a it was like they were worried about making these characters look silly. And with Marvel has just gone, no, they, they look silly. They're superheroes. It's fine. Like we we can we can just make these outrageous costumes. We don't have to do what X Men did in the two thousands and just put them all in black leather. One question I did have from this film is: Has Kamala moved? Yeah, no. I thought with, with Carol. No, I don't think so. I think Carol's moving into uh, like Monica's she, she's, house. Yeah, she's she's finally putting down roots. So the whole family has just flown over to help her move in. I think so. Yeah. That's just how nice that family is. <laughs> like, yeah, we'll travel across the US. I misunderstood because I thought she was moving the Marlowe's family there because their house had been trashed. Well, I thought that at first, but I think it like became evident as that scene went on that that wasn't what was happening. Yeah, because the stuff in the boxes was Carol's stuff. Yeah, because like I did, maybe it's just because I'm, like, <laughs> I'm a homeowner these days, but in that first fight scene... I'm like, oh, their house. How are we going to afford to repair that? <laughs> Does Saber have insurance for these things? It's a fair question to ask, I think. <laughs> That's good, though. That's reassuring. Because I did think that would have undercut, I can't remember the character's name, but Kamala's friendship with her classmate. If it's just yeah. something like, oh, yeah, now I've moved to yeah. a totally different state. And she's doing her exams. I know that was only like a passing bit of dialogue in the film, but... You know, she had some exams coming up at school. She's doing a science, weren't she? Well, yeah, we're doodling. So the the other, well, there was a few scenes that I really liked. Uh, so one was the opening scene where they first started switching. Say opening scene, an early doors scene. Uh, the other one was the training montage. Yeah, I thought it was was really fun. And again, it was just one of those scenes where I was I was smiling all the way through it. It was just great fun to watch. Uh, them learning to use their powers together and in fun ways like skipping ropes. Rock, paper, scissors. Yeah. Right, it's just a, a good, fresh approach to take. Especially We all when... love a training montage, though. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Even Rocky had a montage. The Shang-Chi <laughs> little training montage when they get to that village. Yes, they do, yeah. It's great. And even if it's brushed over quickly, it's takes out the negative of like, oh, how are they suddenly just so good at this? At least it addresses it in a storytelling way. I, I yeah. think I prefer when it brushes over it because I'm kind of not a massive fan of when films spend like 40 minutes on them actually getting good. Yeah. It's which too is, long then, isn't it? Yeah. Which is why it's such a used trope. Um, so one thing, I, I can't decide if I liked it or not. I think I'm erring towards not. I think it was too silly for me. And I know Brother Ben is going to have loved this. I'm not sure what other Ben is going to have thought. The whole scene with them running around with flurkins. <laughs> it was brilliant. It yet, was brilliant. I knew you'd think that. But like it was just so it was so ridiculous. And it I was, was so smiling. genius. I was smiling and I was laughing. But I was also thinking, what the fuck is going on? Like, what am I so, watching now? It was so <laughs> genius as we haven't... This is what they needed on the Titanic. Flurkins. 
There wasn't enough lifeboats, so they had Flurkins chew everyone up for a little bit. I, I I was kind of expecting that we might see what it was like. What What's it like when you get eaten by a Flurkin? Because apparently they don't kill you, they don't digest you. What are they eating I, things for? I'm a shit. Well, they might do if you stay in there too long. But, but I assume it's the TARDIS. Any yeah. So is it is it roomy in there? Is it like is, is it? It cramped? must be because have you seen the tentacles that come out of their tiny mouths? Yeah, but I thought maybe like you know they'll they'll eat Nick Fury and then we'll follow him in and see what what happens when you get eaten by a flurkin. They like um, MCU mind flayers. But no, we we didn't get that. But yeah, other Ben, what what did you think to that scene? What... Yeah, I think. Similar to your thoughts, Jason, I, was, I found it funny oh, and it was quite entertaining. And having like memories from the Cats musical was funny, but also it was just a bit bonkers. And like, oh, okay, this is a this is a plot device. It's a different plot device, but I guess it solves the problem of how you're going to get everyone off the ship. I just would have loved to see the script breakdown, like the actual type notes for how that scene would have been described, because it was just crazy watching it. I love how Kamala like stopped people running away so they could be eaten. I feel Memories is such a well-known piece of music that I actually hadn't put it together that that was originally from Cats until you just said. Uh, but yeah, that, that is very funny. Yeah, it's a pun, a good pun. Um, but yeah, it just it did feel a bit like. Did, did you did you run out of ideas at this point? Like what? There? Because I was wondering, all, like all the time, it kept cutting back to Saber, and there's all these eggs about. And I think I realised quite early on that they were going to be flurking eggs. But it was like why? Like every time it kept cutting away from the action to Nick Fury finding eggs on a space station. Like what? Why does it keep cutting to this? I'm not interested in this. Flurkins on a plane. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sick of these motherfucking flurkins on this motherfucking plane. Space station. I mean, I suppose it's that or have a lazy bit of dialogue where it's like, oh wait, there were some spare escape pods. Um, or, or just going, oh, where have all these flurkins come from? But yeah, so I, I guess that that's why they'd obviously got this funny idea of all these flurkins eating people in their head and I think work backwards from there. I do also think it was a genius. Like you were saying with the Cats musical, it is a genius. Like, do you know there's just them moments where the music fits a scene so well? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it, it fits because it doesn't fit as well. Like, there's probably a term for it, but yeah, it is this like beautiful piece of music over this scene of chaos. Um and yeah, there will be a, a term for that. What like when you get like really calm music over the top of someone on a killing spree or something in a film. I don't know what the term is, though. Seems like something you'd know, Ben. Do you know it? No, I know what you mean, though. I think there is a... Let's chat GPT again. The technique you're referring to is called contrapuntal music or contrapuntal sound. This is where music played in a film contrasts with the visuals or the mood of the scene, creating an interesting juxtaposition that can evoke different emotions or add depth to the storytelling. ChatGPT is a genius. You'll be spared in the robot uprising then, Jason. <laughs> or soundtrack dissonance, dissonance. Dissonance. Soundtrack dissonance. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense as well. Uh, used to pose a juxtaposition. 
Are we allowed to talk about the mid-credits scene? I mean, is, is there anything else from the film itself that we need to talk about? I think like the the other the other great scene I think was the final fight with the villain where they'd properly mastered their switching uh, and the villain would just like what the, what the fuck is going off um but there's not much more to say about that than we've already said about the other scenes that used the same uh the same switching technique um i do i, I wish we already spoke about the villain and i wish she was a bit more fleshed out i wish they'd explained how she'd got the hammer was it called like the universal weapon yeah. One that got destroyed in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. So I assume it's the same weapon. Or a version of the same weapon. Or but like it, what like is it a symbol? Is it given to her for a reason? Does she inherit it? Is like I just think there's more uh story around her and that weapon that could have been told. Uh but I'm willing to cut it some slack because the film wasn't really about her. She was just a device to unite these three characters, which is what we wanted to see, and which is the most enjoyable thing, was just seeing these three characters together. 100%. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so there's two big scenes at the end of this. Let's take them in order. So we start with Pizza Dog. Yeah, Pizza Dog. Everyone's happy to see Pizza Dog. Uh, And Hayley Steinfeld walks in finds Kamala Khan in the classic Marvel disguise of a trench coat and a hat. <laughs> I think it's just a hat, isn't it? It's just no, she's wearing like a trench coat, coat as well. She's wearing like a Nick Fury style trench coat. Like a woman's version. I I really enjoyed that she basically just paraphrased Nick Fury's scene <laughs> yeah. from the end of Iron Man 1. Um, I really wish she'd ended it with I'm here to talk to you about the Young Avengers initiative, but didn't quite go that far. I feel like that might have been too on the nose. Unless you'd like try to write down like Nick Fury giving a tip on like so you should say it like this. <laughs> no, it just says it and then pulls out a notebook like wait, wait, wait. Um Oh yeah. yeah, okay. I did wonder, like, how does she know exactly what Nick Fury said in that scene? But probably recorded, weren't it? I, like at this point, I'm just willing to believe that in the blip, like all the Avengers exploits have been well documented. Um, you know, maybe Tony Stark wrote a book as well. What would that have been called? <laughs> we'll get another rabbit hole with this. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, again, Hayley Steinfeld was great as Kate Bishop in the Hawkeye series. So if she's going to team up with Kamala Khan and others, I think that could be quite an exciting, exciting sort of team up movie. Or TV series. Yeah, so so who are the Young Avengers that we're excited to see? So, on that, I said that I'd seen a person that I watch a lot of their reviews and things like that um, actually give a list of who they're excited for, and I kind of disagree with it. I mean, these lists... Are, they tend it's to opinion. Be, no, they tend to just be clickbaity lists. We're going to list every Young Avenger that they're expecting to see in there. We'll have Wonders Kids in there who no one wants to see again. Especially not if you're going to sing that fucking ice cream song. No, so so it was a list of possible people that could be in it that they want to see, like their excitement levels. So there's eleven. Uh, did, did they mention Iron Lad, who's like a no. variant Iron Man? No, no, they didn't. Uh, kind of. 
So basic. So at eleven is Scar. Oh, Ben, they don't do... just go through someone else's list. I'm not interested. <laughs> no, I'm just going to quickly reel it off. Okay, go through them all. So it at eleven is Scar, ten is Patriot, nine is Ironheart, eight is Stature, seven is Miss Marvel, six is Harley, five is Chavez, four is Wiccan and Speed, three is Toussaint, two is Love, and one is Kate Bishop. So I agree with the Kate Bishop. Like okay. Kate Bishop needs to be in there. So they've, they've they've just they've done what I said, which is list every young Avenger that has made any appearance in the MCU so far. Yeah, but no, what I'm saying is that's not who they're expecting to see. That's who they would want to see. Which is just happens to be every young Avenger that's appeared in the MCU so far. No, that so they've took all of them and ranked them in who they want to see. So basically, saying he has no interest in seeing Scar. Because mainly because of the hairline, no one wants to see Wicked and Speed again. Apparently, he does. He thinks that's cool. Um, Toussaint, which obviously is Black Panther's child. I'll tell you who I'm interested to see in Young Avengers, shall I? Go on, Miss Marvel. Yeah, Kate Bishop. Yeah, yeah, I'm done. Okay, Cassie Lang. No, not that's, really. That's stature, isn't it? Yeah, I would be Iron Heart because I like that character. I think I'm definitely in the minority there. Yeah, Love. I kind of like the idea of seeing Love in there, as long as it's not played by Chris Hemsworth's daughter. You don't need any nepotism in there. I just, I think the power set is cool. I mean, it it's Thor's powers. Eh, she's got more laser as well, hasn't she? Lasery eyes. Oh, yeah, that's true. And I was just thinking, like, she had the, the big axe, didn't she? He went yeah. back to Mjolnir and she took Stormbreaker. Yeah, I think, again, we probably all agreed that Kate Bishop and Kamala Khan would be the two we're most excited to see in any sort of Young Avengers feature. As a Hulk fan, I would be really interested to see them do something good with Scar. But the hairline. I Yeah, like that, that post, was it post-credits or just the end of She-Hulk? really didn't sell me on the character. Post-credits, I think? But there's been some really good stuff with Scar in the comics. Um, but, yeah, it did not look I, good. I would, I would like to see America Chavez, because I think she was a really good character. And I think if she's been learning the mystic arts as well, that could have some really good... She's got the multiversal travel stuff. Again, I thought, yeah, she, she's got an interesting power set, but really interesting character. She, I thought she was quite fun. She, she barely had a character... She needs fleshing out more. I think she was a good actress. I think there was a good acting performance, but the character was written too much of a plot device in the film. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's, I don't know, there's been a few of these films that are clearly been trying to set up Young Avengers, like that one, that just haven't really given the, the, the Young Avengers that they're trying to set up any particularly likeable personality traits. Like... Cassie Lang in Ant-Man Quantumania. Nothing about that character made me want to see it again. Haw Hawkeye and Miss Marvel, I definitely do. But yeah, um, they're from TV, what, the TV series. What about Harley? Because he's on that on that list. Who's Harley? Harley is the kid that Iron Man gives the potato gun to, and is at Iron Man's funeral. No, oh, my man three. Yeah, that who in the comic books I think becomes like Iron Kid or something. No. You wouldn't. So, what Iron person would you want to see in Young Avengers? 
because I assume they're going to put one and it's probably going to be Ironheart. But well, yeah, it's going to be Ironheart. Who would you rather? Ironheart wasn't a particularly interesting part of Wakanda Forever. I loved that film, but I just could have done without them trying to shoehorn that character in. Um, I liked the character. I just did not like the suit. It was too much. Uh, it was what too them Japanese. Them Japanese robots, what are they called? Yeah. Like Gundam. That's it. Ready Player One. Gundam. But I think I'll have to reserve judgment until after the Ironheart show. Yeah. On that character. It's where they can flesh her out a lot more and you yeah. can actually give a shit about her. Yeah. So how many, how many people do you think the Young Avengers would be? Four? Five? Probably five. Our predictions. Miss Marvel. Hawkeye. Ironheart. I'd, I'd like to see America Chavez, but who are the other two, do you think? Like, what's your prediction? Maybe Toussaint? I don't know. He seems too young. Yeah, he was about five, wasn't he, in the film? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, but how, how long ago was that? And, you know, um, Kate Bishop and Miss Marvel are both, like, older teenagers. Yeah. Um, Wiccan and Speed, I think, could be... Depending what happens, we, what are their powers? What are their powers again? Would it be? Is it just basically young Scarlet Witch and young um, Quicksilver? Quicksilver. Yeah. So, depending what happens in Darkhold Diaries, because they could be aged up from what we, yeah, we and, last saw them in, and that's what Doctor could bring Street. them about, sort of thing. Because currently, they they don't exist in six one six, do they? No. But I think the the characters that I would expect to turn up are Miss Marvel and Kate Bishop Hawkeye, are obvious. Uh, Stature, yeah. Um, America Chavez and Ironheart, and Ironheart, yeah. So they're they're the five that I would definitely expect to see. Oh, the the middle aged white men will have a field day with them reviews. There's, there's no many ma- there. There's no men in there. Oh, you need at least one, don't you? Oh. Well, I think just, you know, we had Black Widow in Avengers, so maybe flip it. I think. So, Scar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I don't really want to see him, but I'm not. But, like, you've not seen them do anything with him. Yeah. Yet, so you can't really make a judgment. No, but, you know, based off, 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 as you said, it just does not give me any. No, but it was. Excitement to see him. It was poor rushed CGI, wasn't it? Yeah. It, Once we do it, it properly, terrible. hopefully you will look better. Just change the hairline, for God's sake. Well, didn't he have it in like a bun? <laughs> yeah, but his hair his but, hairline was like so middle of his head. I'd guess that that wouldn't be his look all the time. I mean, Scar generally has long hair down. Yeah. Who's his mother? Uh, she well in the comic book she was like the emperor's guard. Ah, okay. Um, so I, I, in actual fact, it's Valkyrie. <laughs> I mean, it could be. Who knows? Oh, we didn't talk about the Valkyrie scene in this. Oh yeah, it was a nice little cameo. There it was, was. Some definite like tension between the two of them. Yeah, I th- we asked your wife and she said no. Yeah, she did. But we were both like, that, yeah, like, yeah, no, it definitely was. It's like there was with Harold and Maria Rambo as well. I've read today that apparently they cut out a line uh, where Carol said that her and Valkyrie were more than friends. Why would they cut that out? Because that would just make everything a bit... I guess it 
you pick up on those tones anyway. I think because if they'd left that in, it probably wouldn't get played in all yeah. the territories. So the last scene we've got to talk about. Yes. Which is the mid credit scene. Mid credit scene, yeah. No end credit scene in this film. I was absolutely shocked. I was scrolling through Twitter and saw someone post a video of Beast, like just like just scrolling past it, and I saw it straight away. Like there was no avoiding it. I was so annoyed. Um, but so it doesn't start with that. It starts with her seeing her mum again, who clearly has no idea who she is, and seems to have be wearing some sort of super suit. Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, Beast walks in, and it is unmistakably Dr. Fraser Crane himself, Kelsey Grammer, uh, doing the voice. And I think only the voice. I don't think they got him in a mocap suit for that. Also, they had the John Ottman score from X-Men 2 and X-Men Days of Future Past, which oh, I recognised. Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. I didn't pick up on that. Look at Ben just recognising all the music. <laughs> I'm a big fan of film music and composers. I do love the X-Men films. I do love that particular score that they've used whenever John Ottman's composed it. So it was yeah. hearing Kelsey Grammer's voice and thinking, hang on, that's Beast. And then hearing that tune from 20 years ago now, it was a, a cool moment, except for the person chatting behind me in the cinema. Apart from that. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to what we were saying earlier about the overuse of CGI, he looks so much worse than he did in the X-Men films. Yeah, I was because I thought it was Beast. It's Hank McCoy. It's Kelsey Grammer. But yeah, you were conscious that it was CGI. Yeah, yeah, it was so much better when we did it with prosthetics. When which... they just stuck fur on them. Well, yeah, but maybe you'd think they're not going to do that just for one scene. Yeah. But have you seen the road cut of Days of Future Past? And in that, when everything's back to normal and Wolverine's walking through the X-Men mansion at Xavier's school. Yeah. There's, there's a shot where they walk past Beast, and he just says, like, morning, Logan, and that's it. And he walks, and he's in full prosthetics for that. Kelsey Grammer is a trooper, though, because he auditioned for the role of Beast in X-Men 3. Bearing in mind an actor of his stature wouldn't audition for roles you'd be offered them yeah yeah but he was so keen to be in it that he did that but also like you mentioned x-men days of future past i think he heard about the reunion and getting together older actors from the originals and he was like oh yeah can't i be in it so like you say he's in it for like a few seconds but obviously still did all the prosthetics yeah so you'd have thought he'd have been up for that this time but maybe it was out of his control what what do we think this means so this is, I think it's worth pointing out, the first time we've got actual X-Men in the MCU. This is a, a big step forward. Deadpool. What do you mean Deadpool? What about Deadpool? There's X-Men in Deadpool. Yes, but this is the first time that there are X-Men in the MCU. Yeah? Yeah. Right, okay. Deadpool's in the MCU, really. No, not it's yet. not. That's what the next Deadpool's going to be about. Deadpool is set in the Fox X-Men universe. But there is a line of dialogue, isn't there, with Beast, where he says, like, I'll need to inform Charles. So it's obviously yeah. referring to Charles Xavier, and it's got the X door yeah. thing behind so, him as well. So is she in 
Is she in the Fox X Men universe? No. Is she? Is she in Xavier's school? Well, it looks that way. It's got the X doors. Yeah, got some variation on it. But is she in the Fox X Men universe, or is this another universe with X Men? Cross multiversal stuff. Exactly. Um, if she is in the Fox X Men universe, is she going to pop up in Deadpool three? And is that is that how they then start tying in mutants into the MCU? I think mutants her. in the MCU comes after Secret Wars. Do you? Yeah, because they've already heavily hinted it by Kamala Khan being a mutant. Well, X Men in the MCU after Secret Wars. It's interesting how they're going to do it because it's obviously been because the whole thing about the mutant saga is how they have the powers naturally from birth it's if they are in the mcu why haven't we heard about them already and it's how you from a narrative point of view you sort of tackle that yeah yeah which is my why i think it makes more sense if there's you know a convergence between multiple uh dimensions which i think that is would make expecting to happen but like yeah. these convergences have been mentioned a few times um in in recent properties like doctor strange and that could address the, you know, the hostility towards mutants sort of storyline that's always played out in the X Men films. That could be done anew in the MCU because it could be a hostility Everyone's... from people on Earth because it's like the mutants and they've come from another yeah, dimension, yeah. Yeah. reality. So you could you can see them amping up that kind of like fear of them or that prejudice against. Them. Or is it just going to be okay because like people are pretty much kind of just okay with supers now aren't they like it's just it's fairly normal for people now to just see cats throwing people up on the side of the road yeah but it could be like donald trump supporters being like oh we don't mind our own superheroes but yeah. not superheroes from other <laughs> other universes superhero charity starts at home they'll be saying stuff like that <laughs> do you have any theories when do we next see this universe they're not gonna. It's not like we're not gonna see Monica again before the X Men are fully integrated into the MCU. I'm sure we're gonna see her again before then. I don't know if she'll pop up in another film before Kang Dynasty or the Avengers films necessarily. Perhaps maybe in a mid or post credit scene there might be a continuation. Yeah, I think the Avengers films is when everything converges. Do you like what I did there? Yeah, I do. Very good. But maybe in Deadpool or Fantastic Four. You can see a mid or post credit scene where we're seeing Monica recovering again. Maybe another X Men character comes in, which would make it clearer which universe it is. It would be cool if she's if she's in the Deadpool movie and like that's the universe that she's gone to. Yeah, it could what well, could happen. It sets up sets up that link, doesn't it, to Deadpool coming to the MCU and yeah. I thought Kelsey Grammer's Beast was a really clever choice to bring back for this. Because it's like not one of the top tier X Men, like Xavier, Wolverine, Cyclops, Jean Grey, Storm. yeah, but is still a like beloved character, and, and it makes sense. And this iteration of the character as well, I think, is quite well regarded. I feel like it makes sense because Beast is kind of the Doctor of. Well, yeah, but they could have written a scene that makes sense for any of them if they wanted to. Like they've put her in a hospital bed because it was Beast they were getting back, not yeah. the other way around. I mean, what else were they going to do? Just leave her on the floor? I, I think the whole scene just makes sense. It was the the choice that made sense to me. 
if they were going to do an X-Men finding her. Right, okay. Uh, well, I think that's our Marvel's discussion done. Uh, thank you very much, Ben, for joining us for this. Uh, it's quickly becoming tradition that you join us for a new release. It's all right. Uh, not you, Ben. Other Ben. <laughs> well, you didn't say other Ben, so I didn't know. <laughs> ben variant. Uh, yeah, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to be with you both and to discuss nerdy stuff. Uh, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email notnpod at gmail.com or you can message us on Twitter. We are at News of the Nerd. If you'd like to help this podcast grow, one of the best things that you can do for us is to tell your friend. Word of mouth is uh, really great for podcasts. Uh, but also make sure that you subscribe on your podcast app of choice and give us a rating on your podcast app, uh, especially iTunes, because that's where all the charts get their data from. Um, so yeah, if you could give us a rating on there, that would be great. So until next time, goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Doodaloo. I did, I did see a, t- a tweet where someone referred to Brie Larson as Camembert Larson. Okay. Cheese joke. I just I just found the cheese joke funny and I was like, is that that's your reason for hating her, yeah? But she's named after a cheese. That's why <laughs> yeah. Ben hates her. Do you hate uh, Brie Larson? Oh, yeah. Do you I hate don't... Brie Larson, Ben? Not at all, but I do hate cheese. <laughs> um, and then that's Can we get him off the podcast today. now? <laughs> Um, by the way, I did ask Iron Man. For, uh, I did ask Iron Man. <laughs> I had to chat GPT for Iron Man's biography names, and it gave me two: Iron Will for Life and Times of Tony Stark, which feels just a bit flat. But one, the other one is Genius Billionaire Philanthropist. <laughs>